Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Now, we are continuing in our teaching series entitled simply, We Believe. And we're going to take the next several weeks in October and November to unpack some of the basic essentials of the Christian faith. Last week, we talked about Revelation, not the book of Revelation, but the doctrine of Revelation and how God has revealed himself uh, both generally throughout creation, but also specially through his scripture, through his word. And we had a great, great message on that last Sunday. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about God. Now, I know that's a very narrow topic that we can knock out in about 15 minutes, okay? Actually, we're going to find that there's some very meaningful simplicities when talking about God. But it's important for us as a church to be thinking about these things. Uh, I mentioned last week that our statement of faith is, is called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. That is the statement of faith for the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the denomination with which we partner for missions both locally and globally. The Baptist Faith and Message is located on our website as well as you can simply go to the uh, convention's website and, and go to Baptist Faith and Message 2000 and you'll be able to see it right there. Baptist Faith and Message is what we call a consensus statement of faith. It does an excellent job of capturing the essentials of the Christian faith without diving into the weeds on every little minor point of secondary and even tertiary of theological significance. And what that does is that allows us to be united in, in, in the main things, but we're not going to become divided over secondary issues that aren't as important that that's who we are as a church as a matter of fact i gave this to you last week i want to remind you uh, repetition is the mother of education as you know our, our threefold uh, viewpoint on theology at crossgate church and and i have blanks for you right there on the on the handout so you can't miss them okay unity in the essentials liberty in the non-essentials charity in all things there are certain theological truths that are absolutely not up for debate or discussion at crossgate church okay and we are unit united around those things we're going to talk about some of those things this morning however as i said a moment ago there's some secondary theological issues that quite honestly we we, we have some latitude there because good solid over the last two thousand years good solid bible believing people have come down in different ways on some of those secondary issues and therefore we're going to have liberty in those non-essentials, but we're, gonna, we're also going to have charity in, in all things. In, in other words, that means that if, if we can't agree on every little detail of, 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 of theology, that's okay. We're not going to get angry about it. We're not going to get upset about it. We're not going to come after people if they don't believe like we do on every little point. That's just, that, that's who we are. Now, as we mentioned last Sunday, and Pastor Josh referenced one of these a moment ago, we are trying to maximize congregational engagement with, it, with this teaching series, because it's that important. We, we're talking about what we believe here. This is, this is hugely important for our church. And of course, one of the things that we're doing to maximize that engagement is we have distributed these uh, little fill-in-the-blank handouts. We have the paper copies uh, located, and we will have these throughout this series, so you can grab one on the way in. But we also have uh, d- developed a, a digital version of those as well. And all you need to do to get today's digital a handout is just scan that QR code. It'll take you to the digital version of that. You can fill it out on your device and then hit send, and it will email you uh, your, your notes that you have just typed out on your device 
uh, it'll email those to you at the end of the service. So that's one of the ways that we are doing this. The second thing is, we're again, we're asking life groups, if at all possible, to utilize our discussion questions that we send out every week, sermon message-based discussion questions, so that in your life group you can have a, a, a very vibrant discussion and healthy discussion about the things that we're talking about in here. And I've already gotten feedback from a lot of life groups saying, boy, we've had some great discussions along the lines of those discussion questions that you sent out, Pastor. Now, the other thing that we've done, and we did this this past week, and we will continue to do it throughout the series, is that Pastor Keith and I are dedicating our weekly podcast called More and Better Disciples Podcast to this series. Now, as you know, we can't hit everything in 35 to 40 minutes of, of teaching here in, in our worship center on Sunday morning. There's a lot of questions. There's, there's frequently asked questions. There's a lot of yeah, buts, or what abouts, right? And so we try to pick up on several of those in the podcast. We did that for some great topics this past week, and we'll do the same thing this week as well. We put that out on social media. All of our platforms will have that podcast as well. So I would encourage you to uh, listen to the podcast and uh, continue on in growing in knowledge and, and experience of what we're talking about in this uh, series. Now, speaking of those resources, here's something else we're doing. Again, we want to maximize your opportunity to absorb the material. All right, we're also going to let you know about some additional resources that you can uh, tap into uh, in the days ahead if you want to go deeper with any of these or all of these topics. And those resources, I'm grouping them along three tiers. Okay, it's kind of the basic. Uh, level and then kind of the next steps level and then the advanced level. Okay, so uh, pass, uh, Byron Lee, our uh, tech wizard at Crossgate Church, is going to put these resources out digitally as well, so you'll know what they are. But I'm going to just reference them here. Okay, the kind of the basic level. If you want to go a little deeper with what we're talking about, the basic level is this: it's a little workbook called "The Baptist Faith and Message" by Charles Kelly, uh, Al Moeller, and a few others. This, this little simple workbook is basically a, a resource that walks you through the Baptist faith and message, which again is our statement of faith at Crossgate Church. It's got fill in the blank, it's got little interactive quizzes that you can take. You can pick that up on Amazon for a few bucks, I think. It's pretty cheap. Uh, but all that to say, this is a great resource. We already have a few of our life groups, by the way, that have used this as, as a curriculum for, for a 12-week study or what have you, just kind of walking through what we believe. All right, if you want to go a little deeper than that, uh, level two, kind of the next steps level, Jerry Brashear, Doctrine, What Christians Should Believe, as well as Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Uh, the Doctrine book will walk you through the basics and, and give you a pretty good sense of what Christians have believed, even on some of the different secondary issues over the years. Great resource and an absolute classic that has stood the test of time is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Now, if you are an absolute glutton for theological information, okay, Here's the advanced level, all right? Edited by Danny Aiken. You can see right now, this is a three-dimensional picture. Those are thick books, about 1,000 pages each, all right? A Theology for the Church, edited by Danny Aiken. He's the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in North Carolina. This is my personal favorite, just for an overall deep dive on uh, systematic theology and theology for the church. And then, of course, probably the most popular and famous theological book that's come out in the last 40 years, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Again, right at about 1,000 pages each. This is my favorite, but either one of those will give you everything you ever wanted to know, okay, for real. I mean, that you can know on this side of heaven anyway. Everything you wanted to know about theology 
and about God. Okay, so three resources. Now again, today, remember, we're going to talk about God today. We're going to talk about God in terms of who he is and what he does. Now the crazy thing is this, that we can know anything about God, quite honestly. I mean, when you think about what the Bible says about God, it's an amazing thing that we can know anything about God, and yet there's a lot of things that we can know. Think about the contrast in these scriptures. Look at this. Here's one from 1 Timothy 6. God, who alone has immortality, dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen or can see him. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen God. Okay? Now look at this, what it says in the psalm. Psalm 145 and 147. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. So he dwells in unapproachable light. His ways are unsearchable. His, his, his ability to comprehend is, un, is, is, is unfathomable to us. And yet, listen to this, this is what Jesus Christ said in John 17. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now watch this. And this is eternal life. That they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now remember, this is the God that dwells in unapproachable light. This is the God whose ways are unfathomable. We've never seen him, and yet Jesus said that we might know God. That tells me he's knowable. That also tells me that he wants to be known by you, and by you, and by me. So this morning we're going to talk about knowing God, and, and what we can know about God. First of all, let's talk about God, who he is, all right? Because anything we know about God begins with who God is. God is, and that's it, right? God exists. That right there will blow your mind. God, who he is, and a couple of ways that God reveals himself to us in terms of who he is. First of all, is his names, okay? His names are very important. Uh, the first name that we see in the Bible is, is the name Elohim, all right, that's the first name, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God is translated from the Hebrew word Elohim. Now, this word uh, implies power. This name implies unbelievable scope. This is the God who dwells in unapproachable light, Elohim, whose ways are unsearchable, who is, uh, whose understanding is unfathomable. Carl F.H. Henry, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, said this, in the Bible, Elohim is uniquely one God who concentrates in himself the being and powers of all the gods, having the totality of deity in himself. Of course, there are no other gods, but, but from, the, from the heathen perspective, from, from, from the, the, the perspective of the various religions of the world, this is God. That, that's, that's who God is. And yet... There's another name that we hear in the Bible some 6,000 times, and that name is Yahweh. That name is God's personal name. If Elohim talks about a God who dwells in unapproachable light, this is the God that speaks 
to Moses from the burning bush and makes himself known on a personal level. Exodus chapter 3, look at this. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now notice, there's a personal conversation taking place between God and Moses here. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to this people of Israel, The Lord, Yahweh, now that's basically, I'm letting you know that that's that's the word that stands behind the word Lord there in the Hebrew. Yahweh has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now let's leave that up on the screen for just a moment. If you were to look in your Bible right now at at Exodus chapter 3, okay, now for the sake of the computer font, we have done all caps here, L-O-R-D. But if you were to look in Exodus chapter 3 or any other number of places where it talks about the Lord in terms of God in the Old Testament, you will see a unique font where it's capital L, but it's also capital O-R-D, but slightly smaller, okay? Now, that's how you know that the word Yahweh is being represented in the English. You might not have ever noticed that in the Bible. But when, when you see in the Old Testament the word Lord, L, all capitalized, but the O-R-D is slightly smaller capitals, all right, that is representing the word Yahweh, God's personal name. This is the name by which he reveals himself to us personally. See, God is so powerful, and yet he's also personal. It's an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing. Now, let me do one other thing that might just kind of like, I don't want to confuse anybody, okay, but I just want to put this up here for a little information. Let's put my diagram up there. Okay, these are Hebrew consonants, all right? You read Hebrew from the right to the left, all right? These are Hebrew consonants. In the Hebrew language, the vowels are the little dots and the little the little things that they add to the consonants, okay? It's not like English. These are the four most important letters and certainly the most important word in the entire Hebrew language. This is the consonants for Yahweh, okay? That, that's Yod, that, that's a, a Y, and it, just, it, it spells out Yahweh. All right, now, if you were to take the name Yahweh with the correct vowels, it would look like this. Okay, here's all the little vowels. You can see it's the same consonants. Let me tell you something about the name Yahweh. The name Yahweh is so special and so sacred to the Jewish people, they would never put it like this, okay? Because even to say the name, it's too special to even say the name. So here's what they did, all right? This word is the Hebrew word Adonai, and it means Lord. Now, this is the Hebrew word for Lord, as you would say, like, sir, so like when they talked about King David, they would say, my Lord, King David. They're not saying he's, he's like God. That's like the Hebrew word just for sir, right, for, for gentleman or what have you. But what they did is they took the vowels, the vowel markings for the word Adonai, which means Lord, and they, they put them on top of the consonants, which means Yahweh. All right? that, that's how they got by with, with writing it out and putting it. In fact, if you were to look in a Hebrew uh, copy of the Bible now, you would see roughly this whenever you see the word Lord. Because again, they're never going to do this because that's too close to the real name and it's too sacred. But what you get when you do this is you have Yahweh, the consonants, 
but you have the vowels for Adonai. Now, if you actually were to pronounce that out, what does it sound like? It sounds like Jehovah. That's where we get the name Jehovah. The, 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 the name Jehovah for God was never really meant to be a name for God. It was never meant to be pronounced per se, but that's where Jehovah comes from. And some of the older translations of the Old Testament will actually have the word Jehovah, even though that wasn't intentionally meant to be pronounced. Okay, so that's kind of the backstory. But the reason why I give you this is because this is so special. The name of God is so special to God's people. And, and, and because it's his personal name. And I will tell you something, friends. Before I got saved, I believed that God existed. I knew something about Elohim, but I'll tell you, I didn't know Yahweh. But when Jesus Christ came into my life in a personal way, you know, the old, the old saying, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, I will tell you, that had a personal impact for me when I trusted Jesus Christ. God reveals to us, yes, he's powerful, but he's also personal. Do you know him? Do you know him personally and powerfully? God reveals himself to us who he is by his names. God also reveals himself to us through his attributes. Okay, when we talk about who God is, you have to talk in terms of his attributes, okay? This is just another kind of a fancy theological word for his characteristics. These are what make God, God. And, and you see all kinds of different attributes of God in, in the Bible. They don't change. God doesn't change. There are some attributes that he, that he can impart to us in a sense but there's many others that he would not and never would. You say, well, what are some of his attributes? Okay, well, first of all, God is sovereign. God is absolutely sovereign. When we say that God is sovereign, this rolls up all kinds of words such as God is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent. Only God can be in more than one place at a time. Right? He's all of these things and, and more. He's all-powerful. Look at what the Bible says. Look at this. Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Nobody else has this said about them. You don't get to do whatever you want to do. I don't get to do whatever I want to do. Only our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Look at this. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's power. That is sovereign power. This tells me that there's nothing that happens outside of the purview and the oversight of God. Absolutely nothing. We're going to unpack some more of that later in this series, but I will tell you our God is sovereign. Here's another thing. Our God's eternal. Our God is eternal. He lives, yes, he's omnipresent all around us, and yet he ultimately lives outside of time and space. And God, because he's eternal, he doesn't need us for anything. I mean, literally, he needs us for nothing look at this in the book of acts Acts 17 the god who made the world and everything in it being lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything god doesn't need us for anything a great teaching moment. We sang a wonderful song earlier this morning, the, the beautiful, wonderful name of Jesus. Well, there's a, a phrase in that song that says, you didn't want heaven without us. I love that word. I love that, that, that message in that, in that line because it reminds us of how deeply God loves us in order to send his son to the earth that we might be with him. 
But I will tell you this, our God was never for once sitting in heaven saying, oh, I'm so lonely in heaven. I need these people up here with me. That was never God. We don't see that in the Bible. God's eternal. He lives outside of time and space ultimately. He doesn't have a need for us, but I will tell you, as we'll talk about in just a moment, he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth to die on a cross. Here's another attribute of God. God's holy, as if you didn't already know that. One of the most recognizable attributes of God in the entire Bible, 1 Peter, look at this. God is holy. Well, there it is right there. Therefore, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Think about this. In heaven, around the throne of God, what are the saints and the elders saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're not sitting around the throne saying, God is love, 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 or God is mercy, 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 or anything else. They're saying, God is holy, holy, holy. That ought to get your attention. Our God is a holy God. He is holy other. Here's God, and here's everything else to include you and me. And there's a very hard line of distinction between the two. All right, But at the same time, we do see in the Scripture that God, here's a fourth attribute. There's so many more I could give you, but I'm giving you four this morning. The fourth is this, God is love. 1 John 4, 8, look at this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Perhaps the, the most powerful statement, one of, certainly one of the most powerful statements in the entire Bible, God is love. But here's where you have to be careful when you're talking about the attributes of God. Now listen very carefully. You've got to be careful when you talk about the attributes of God because a lot of people like to just pick and choose a few that they like, right? I mean, this world in which we live, as far as most people in this world are concerned, God only has one attribute, love. God is love, 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 love. We get this all the time. And yes, God is infinite, unbelievable, unmatchless love. But there's more to God than just that. And the danger is that when you, when you camp out on just one or maybe two attributes of God, you miss the whole picture. You miss the entire revelation of, of God in, in the Bible. Uh, I was having a phone call just a few days ago with my, my mother's sister in Arizona who uh, found out just a few weeks ago she's got terminal cancer and, and literally just a few weeks to live. Very aggressive cancer, but a vibrant follower of Jesus. Aunt Pam, if you're watching this, I love you and I thank you for sharing the word of God with me yesterday. And she was quoting 1 Corinthians 13, where she said, among other things, love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Okay? So, so don't let someone uh, give you a, a, a smoke screen, give you a snow-blinding snowstorm with saying God is love, and so therefore we can just live however we want. That There are multiple attributes that, that we see in the Scripture for who God is. And it's important that we take into account all of them. But here's one other thing about who God is, and that is his persons. Okay, so the earliest Christian confession that we see in, in the Bible lets us know that God is a triune God. T-R-I-U-N-E. God is a triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or more specifically, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God has chosen to reveal this 
of himself to us. Does he give us a fully adequate explanation in the Bible? No. I will tell you, I would, not, I would not want to worship a God that I could completely figure out. Amen? In my, in my limited, finite human mind, if I could figure it all out here on the earth, he wouldn't be God. You say, well, can you unpack that for me, Pastor? Okay, here you go. Here's three simple statements that are true based on the Scripture. One, God is three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Two, each person is fully God. We're going to do a whole message in a few weeks on the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to talk all about who Jesus is, specifically related to this. And number three, there is one God. Okay? You say, I can't totally comprehend that. That's okay, I can't either. All right? But the bottom line is, here are three things that we know are absolutely true in the Scripture, and how they, how they, how they relate to one another is, is a mystery that God has not fully revealed to us today but I will tell you God has revealed himself to us in these terms why well I'm gonna give you a quote from that doctrine book Jerry Brashears look at this Christians should study the doctrine of the Trinity because God has given the church a great blessing in truthfully revealing something so glorious about himself namely that he is triune if he reveals it to us he must consider it important and valuable for our relationship God loves us deeply. He wants our relationship to be intimate and deep. So he gives us precious insights into who he is. I say praise God. Praise God that he, that he loved us enough to, to pull back the curtain this much on who he is and let us understand that he truly is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, those are just some things. Pastor Keith and I can unpack some more on the podcast this week. But, but there, there's some very important things that we need to know about who God is. But I will tell you this also, there's some important things we need to know about what God does. God, what he does. This is the other half here, okay? Let's talk about what God does. First of all, we know from the Bible that God creates, okay? God creates. Hebrews chapter 11, look at this. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. God creates. God spoke the universe into being. That's my God. That's my God, okay? That's the God I worship. Isaiah, look at this, Isaiah 45, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. You know, you know what a, 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 an eternal mic drop looks like? That's it. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, when God created, now notice, he, this is something you need to understand. God's attributes and who he is, that's always going to be worked out in what he does. There's not going to be this massive inconsistency between what God is and who God is and what he does okay there's going to be this consistency this continuum God's power God's omnipotence God's sovereignty all of that is on display in the creation itself the power of God God has as we said last week God has not left himself without a witness you say okay so pastor you telling me you don't believe in evolution well yes and no all right I personally believe that there is microevolution. I don't believe there's macroevolution. You say, what's the difference? 
All right, macroevolution teaches and believes that all of creation, certainly all of life on the earth, is all descended from some primordial form of life. And that when you, when you just stretch that out over millions and millions and billions of years, you get what we have today. All of these different species and subspecies and all, and all of life came from some uh, you know, uh, primordial form of life. For example, a macroevolutionist would say that humans and, and, and primates or, or monkeys or apes or whatever have a common ancestor, okay? Well, they ought to know their kinfolk better than I do, okay? But, the, but the, some of y'all will get that later. But here, here's the thing. Microevolution basically says that there, there, there's creation and there's species, okay? And, and, and there's a fixation of the species. There, there, are, there are not transitional forms of, of species. We, 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 don't, we don't see that. See, here, here's two bridges that the macroevolutionists cannot... I'm talking about atheistic macroevolution now. There's two bridges that, that they cannot cross. First of all is the origin of life. No macro-atheistic evolutionist can ever explain the origin of life on this earth, right? They, they can't do it. In fact, some have even gone so far as to back it up and say, well, actually, uh, the, a spaceship or maybe a meteor from another galaxy, another planet, somehow came to the earth with some basic life form on it, and that is what eventually evolved into all of what we are to this day. They can't do it. You, you cannot explain the origin of life apart from God. Now, here's the other thing. They can't explain the, 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 the fixation of the species either, as I just mentioned a moment ago. This was Charles Darwin's main, certainly one of his main talking points. Watch this, from the origin of the species. I infer from analogy that probably all of the organic beings which have ever lived on this earth have descended from one primordial form. That's straight from Charles Darwin, the origin of the species. And many times your macroevolutionists will talk about the transitional forms between the species. And sometimes they'll talk about the fact that, that, that that's the missing link within this chain of evolution. Let me tell you something, friends. The whole chain is missing. They're, they're, look at the fossil record. Look, you say, you're, you're a preacher. What do you know about this stuff? I can read, right? You can read. You can look it up for yourself. The, the missing link is a farce. It's a myth. There's no, there's no evidence of, of a transitional species from this to this to this. You say, okay, well, Pastor Phil, if, if you believe all that, then do you, do you actually believe that like Adam and Eve were real people, like they were the first human beings on, on the entire earth? I absolutely believe that. Okay? And I will tell you, if someone doesn't believe that Adam and Eve were the first two literal human beings, they're going to have a hard time with the gospel. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. You say, okay, well, Pastor Phil, what about, I mean, you're talking about God creates, but what about the age of the earth? I mean, that's kind of a hot topic, isn't it? Isn't the earth like millions and millions and millions of years old? Possibly. This is a secondary theological issue. Remember what we said, unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials. I, I tend to be a young earth kind of guy myself. I think there's a lot of evidence, flood geology and all the rest, that, that would point to a young earth. But at the same time, I know a lot of good, solid, Bible-believing, vibrant Christian people who believe that throughout a long look and in, in an old earth context, God brought about the earth as we have it to this day. I don't have a problem with that as long as they make room for an Adam and an Eve because without that, the God, you don't have the gospel. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. 
I will tell you, those are some of the details. But the fact is that God creates, the God of the universe displayed his power, displayed his sovereignty, displayed his eternality in the creation of the universe. That's the God that I worship. That is the God, that's the God that I worship. But here's something else. Not only does God create, God judges. God judges. From the very first judgment on sin in the Garden of Eden, where God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden and established a flaming sword to, to guard the entrance and to prevent their re-entrance into Eden, from that judgment on sin to God's final judgment on sin, where he casts every man or woman whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life into the eternal lake of fire forever and ever and ever, we see a God who judges sin. God, remember how I said his attributes and what he does are in alignment. God would not be holy. God would not be a righteous God if he did not judge sin. Never forget it. Isaiah, look at this. Behold, the day of the Lord comes with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy sinners from it. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. That's some hard language, isn't it? But I will tell you, that's the God that I worship. Why do I say that? Because it's in his word. If you disagree with that, don't come up and disagree with me. I'm just the messenger boy. That's what God said. And you know what? Here's something else that might flip your your theological wig just a little bit. Acts 17 again. Let's talk about Jesus. God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus will be the judge. Now, what do you do with that? I mean, here we have a holy God. Here we have a God that that, that dwells in unapproachable light, whose name is so sacred that the Jews don't even speak it. That's the God who judges. But may I tell you this? There's one other thing that's so important to say about what God does. And that is that God redeems. Amen? The same God who dwells in unapproachable light, the same God whose ways are unfathomable to us, the the, the same God who in power created the universe and in holiness and righteousness judges sin because of his great love, remember his attributes, because of his great love for us, he sent his son to this earth. He didn't have to do that. But he did it because of his great love. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, look at this. In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Don't you love that? In Jesus. That's what God does. He, he, God is love. And he loved this world so much that he sent his son to die for sin. Here's one more. You talk about the purpose of why Jesus came, 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ suffered once for all for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous. That, the unrighteous, who's that? That's you and that's me. That he might bring us to God. Sin separated us from God. We could, could not have possibly been any further from God than we were. But God loved us enough to send Jesus to this earth that he might bring us to him. You know how I sum up the Bible? I sum up the Bible in three words. Creation, catastrophe, and Calvary. God created, we sinned, plunging the entire world and creation in, 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 into fallenness and separation from God. That was a, a catastrophe. And Calvary. That's where Jesus died on the cross. May I simply ask you this question? We've been talking a lot about God this morning. It sure would be a shame if you left here today without knowing him personally through his son Jesus. Do you know for certain that you're saved? Do you know for certain that there's been a time when you've received Jesus Christ personally by faith? That's why he came, that we might be saved. We're going to have a time of prayer here in just a moment, but I will tell you, if you're here today and you don't know for certain that you're going to heaven when you die, because it could be today. My Aunt Pam was just trucking along three weeks ago until she went to the doctor. It could be today. If you don't have a certainty of that, why don't you get your salvation settled today? Trust Christ. And you come and talk to me in our next steps area and we'll pray about it. Let's bow for a word of prayer. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.